To support our work at the Izzy and Murtada Picture Show and the work of other independent creators like us, sign up to listen to the podcast on Nebula. Nebula is the creator-owned streaming platform that hosts great videos and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Sign up today at nebula.tv slash picture show, and you'll get access to this podcast plus other great podcasts and videos. Sign up at Nebula and help support independent media creators. That's nebula.tv slash picture show. I'm Murtada. And I'm Izzy. And welcome to the Izzy Murtada Picture Show. Um, we've come to a momentous time of the year. There's a new Martin Scorsese movie out, and what a time to be alive. I was thinking about this. It's just like it's we're so lucky to be alive at the time that he is alive and making these amazing movies. So if this is our start, I think everybody get ready. This is going to be a glowing review. I think Izzy and I haven't talked about this movie, but I think we both love it. Yes, that's a safe assumption. <laughs> so it's his latest film. He's working with the two actors he has worked with the most for the first time together. Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio in this story about the murder of the Osage people for their oil wealth that happened in the 1920s is it's based on a best-selling book by journalist David Gran. I think that's his name um, of the same title. And it is written by Eric Ross and Scorsese. And it is three hours and 26 minutes. I've already seen it twice. That's seven hours of my life. And wow. I would spend another seven hours with this movie. I love it. Scorsese is the master. There's no one like him. <laughs> Listen, I agree. And I'll tell you what, let me be vulnerable here for a while, for a minute. Um, I used to be a person who was like, I don't think I would like Martin Scorsese. Mm. Like I put it off for a really long time because I just kind of assumed like based on the subjects of some of his films that I would mm -hmm. not be invested in them. And then obviously I was very wrong because <laughs> <laughs> yes. I do feel like, um, literally any person can watch his films most of them and um have a good time yes they're tough subjects but um yeah so I've been fully Scorsese pilled and this is just another delicious I mean not delicious that's the wrong word it's a great film but it is not a fun experience no it's not it's topic. like it's like Scorsese's themes are always violent America. In my opinion, I think he depicts how America comes to its power and dominance over the rest of the world by telling these violent stories of people rising to wealth and power, where whether it's gangsters in the 1920s, Oklahoma, like this movie, or the other Italian mafiosos he has chronicled, or even the upper crust of New York society from Edith Wharton in The Age of Innocence. His movies are always about these, um, how people come to power and how that sort of reflects America in a way and its position in the world. I love the way that he does this without calling attention to all these themes because he's just telling you a different, wonderful, 
really well-made story and film with top-notch performances, editing, all the crafts are always great. So you can just enjoy it just as a story and not think that it has meta meaning or it has deeper meaning than just the story being depicted. But then you think about it for a minute and you're like, wow, he has done something really big and expansive and he just keeps doing it um, every time. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like there's something. So I read the New Yorker interview with him that Richard Mm -hmm. Brody did. Did you read that? No. I've been in festival. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, should, we should also like take some time to catch everyone up on your festival work as well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I read the interview in the New Yorker with Richard Brody, and I thought it was really interesting because I do feel like his streak recently has been pretty excellent. Um, like there were mm-hmm. some, you know, Cape Fear things like that where they were oh, like, I love that one too. I know a lot. I know you do, but like a lot of people don't like that one. Yes. And I think it's... like there is a period where he became so like beholden to studios that I think he felt really hindered by it. Mm-hmm. And so in the streaming era, like because he's Martin Scorsese, he's been able to kind of like have used his career, I guess, as like leverage to mm-hmm. get a lot of money from streamers not always easily but he's gotten so much money and i think a lot of freedom to make Mm -hmm. things like this and um the irishman Mm -hmm. um that are just like i i think just more in line with some of the things that he was making like Mm -hmm. maybe 10 years ago yeah and this is like a good example of when capitalism works so netflix and (laughs) apple really like gave him millions and millions upon millions of dollars to make exactly his vision um which is great um yeah they will never do it for anyone after he's gone no (laughs) um but they chose the right person to do it with so that's good for us um and i really think he's expanding on his um there's like a poignancy to his work that i don't think was present when he was a younger man like if you look at, at the irishman um it's it's about time and the passage of time and about regret and about how, you know, all of these things when you reach a certain period in your life and look back, you know, you don't want to have that feeling of regret. And that movie was so sad because of that. And mm-hmm. like people I know talked about the makeup or the prosthetics or aging and de-aging and whatever, but that was to tell this story of time passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he does this here too um, in a very poignant way. It's as if he's looking back at all the stories he he has told before and saying, well, this is a chapter in America that I should be talking about. And he, he infuses it with a lot of poignancy and sadness, despite, you know, the hallmarks of his films are always there, the 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 violence, the, the, the good storytelling, that's always there. But I think there is just an added thing of someone, and maybe I'm projecting, who maybe knows that he doesn't have much time. And it just appears in this poignant way. And I think these last two films, especially, and makes him just so much stronger and at the top of what he's doing, which is great. Totally. And he's talked about that too. I mean, every interview he gives where he's like, I have maybe one or two left. It makes me so depressed. Um, But I think that to kind of jump off what you were saying, when you say like, oh, this is a story that I might tell. I I think that's a good segue into some of the conversations that have been having that have been had recently about 
especially from the the Osage Nation and Mm -hmm. um, like thinking about whose story this is and like how it's told and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I've been encouraged by how actually nuanced I feel these conversations have been, um, Mm -hmm. especially being like led by the indigenous community, because it does sound like he kind of understood that like in a sense it's his story, but it's also not because Mm -hmm of like who is being victimized here and who is yes. taken advantage of and stuff. And um, I think like the kind of the line that I've been seeing a, a lot of Osage people draw where they're like, he did the best he could possibly do with mm-hmm. like this version of this story. Yeah. But it is also disappointing that like, it's not, it isn't like from the Osage perspective exactly, nope. mm-hmm. but it's also like, like that sucks, but it's also appropriate that he didn't do that because yes. he shouldn't do that. Yes. And and this is the thing. I think there was a little bit, you know, and that's I always try to not critique just the film, not the filmmaker intention, not what they say in interviews, not the marketing, because I think the marketing of the film at the beginning, at least um there was a lot of like oh this is you know the osage from the osage point of view even like the campaign for lily gladstone putting her in best actress when it's debatable um all of that is sort of like marketing to try and say this is from maybe the osage point of view but he has never said that because i saw this movie with a conversation with him and he never said that um and I feel this movie is more of a character study of the Leonardo DiCaprio character, Ernest Burkhardt. It's from his point of view, or if it's not from his point of view, it's sort of a character study of how somebody like that, who is a little bit dumb and doesn't really know what to do yet still manages because of his position as a privileged white person to inflict so much damage into a whole community of people. Um, and so that to me was the point of view. And so... I know, so I hear exactly what you're saying. It's not at all from the Osage point of view, but also maybe that's not, you know, Scorsese's story to tell. Like he found a good way to tell this story. Um, he found a story to tell through this this character that I think is we haven't seen from him um, before. He has never, you know, from Leo or from him, sort of pointing it in a very ineffectual person. And yet he can be the, you know, the lead of this movie, of the story and the man who makes the most damage. Yeah. Was he wearing a prosthetic nose? I couldn't, I was trying to figure it out the whole no, film. No, I was like, no. why does he look kind of different? Like I couldn't figure it out. Anyway. Um, he makes a lot of faces in this movie. That's why he yeah. looks different, but I don't think there are any prosthetics. It's just, just like, he's I don't older. know. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. But I was just like, why does he look different? Anyway, um, but I also think like it must have been in his, or I, well, I know it was in his mind a little bit because when he initially started writing this screenplay, it was from the perspective of the FBI. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. he was like, this is kind of boring because it's just procedural. And yeah. I think Leo was the one who was just like, what if I played this guy instead? Yeah. Um. And that kind of reframed the whole story around like be living with the Osage um, yes. from the beginning, which is kind of, I think like also smart because I doubt that there would have been as much getting to know and like understanding and empathizing with those Osage people, like 
if it had mm-hmm. just been the police coming in at the last minute yes. and being like, they're dead. <laughs> yeah, after everything has happened and it's just an investigation. Yeah. And I think that's the book. The book is the investigation. And I guess in the beginning they were following the book and then they they swerved. And the swerve is really what makes this movie interesting and what makes it pop. And I haven't read the book, but I've talked to people who have read it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what's crazy is that the movie like doesn't even come close to capturing like how evil these people were. Mm. Which is just like shocking to hear, but because they sure are really true. evil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sure because he it, the film does hint at this, obviously, but it doesn't explore it directly. Like how pretty much every white person knew what was going on mm-hmm. and didn't say anything. So, like, yeah. if you think about the extent of a like citywide conspiracy to just like murder these people. Yeah. Yes. They all knew. Wild. Yeah. Wild. And they knew not only that there is, uh, if you haven't seen the film, this has been released as a still. There is a still of basically all the white people in the community in one room mm-hmm. together. And it's just the evil that white people do because they're all look in the movie. Once you get to that scene, you they kind of, they are kind of trying to bury the truth in that scene. And I think that camera movement is just capturing them all together with their faces really like evil. And they look like ghosts. Yes, exactly. And I think, yeah. So to think that, I think he captured a lot of that and to think that it's even worse in the book, it's just, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, do you want to talk about Lily Gladstone? Um, yes. So... The story, as as you know, as I see it, it's sort of like the Leo character. It's a character study, but it's also sort of like the love story between him and this woman who they both um, sort of enter into this relationship with kind of ulterior motives. Like he definitely just wants to marry somebody who's rich and to sort of live off her money. And she's like, seems like maybe her heart was broken. It's never clear, but she's kind of ready to settle down. And so she enters this relationship with open eyes, knowing that, you know, he's not a great person, but he's cute and she loves him and and she feels something. And then they surprise themselves by actually- (laughs) Every marriage. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Then they surprise themselves by having this these feelings for each other and real deep feelings, but also he's basically helping murder her family and her community and even her. So it's a very strange love story. Um, what I like, what I love about Gladstone's performance is that she's first introduced in voiceover and that's where the strengths of this performance to me lies in the way that she, in the voiceover sort of like, tells you the Osage story without actually saying a lot, but just narrating little bits of the stories. This movie doesn't have a lot of voiceover. It's just here and there a little bit. But in your in her voice, you hear the history of her people, the history of this character, the racism they they are facing every day, the the violence they are facing. And it's just the way her voice has this. Um, timber tone of resignation but also a little bit of like survival instinct I just thought the voice work that she did in this movie was absolutely stellar and Mm -hmm. sort of told a lot more because the story is not from her point of view so in the end she doesn't have a lot to work with but she managed to just use her voice to sort of convey this this character beautifully yeah I I loved her she just has such a calm presence like she's so still and kind of 
um like you it feels like she's observing him all the mm-hmm. time like yes. she's not just with him she's not looking at him she's observing him she's thinking about him um and obviously like she's suffering truly like in bed for i don't know half of this film yeah yeah about probably yeah um well, for a lot of it yes yeah um what i was thinking about to be honest like pairing this with zone of interest is really interesting to me in the sense of like the cognitive dissonance that's required to like murder people <laughs> but like and then just I, go on with your but life like live your life yeah <laughs> yes. yeah um because like it's just that that whole part being part of DiCaprio's character where he's just keeps being like oh but I actually love you blah blah it's and she's just like <laughs> what <laughs> you know I mean that's under I, I really liked how they actually did that yeah toward the end it's not like a blow up or anything no um, it's it's not Scorsese's uh way yeah but it's just kind of like I don't know I I feel like I'm seeing a lot of that now too in the world of just like the mental gymnastics you have to go through to be like to justify what you're doing to people exactly and it's just it's like really jarring and scary to see like different films showing how that happens Mm -hmm. in different parts of the world different times but it's just consistent people are like this yeah and isn't Robert De Niro chilly? Because he is, he's so evil in this movie. He's evil personified. And like the way that he sort of talks to the Leo character to try to convince him to do these crazy murders. Slimy. And he is just like, and he's so convincing. And he says things like, what the fuck are you saying? Like, like he would say things like, oh, they're going to die anyway. You know, you know, they don't live too long. So, you know, let's just, get get rid of them now or whatever i'm paraphrasing obviously but it's such evil things that he's saying and he's doing it like i found his performance so fascinating because he's doing this thing and sometimes i would laugh because it's funny he like veers very close to caricature in this sort of like evil personified man and then but then there is just this chilly center um and so it's it's such a balance i don't know how he did it to sort of like come so close make you even laugh and you think oh this is a ha ha this can't be true nobody can be this evil and then you know he is and somehow also like just scares you and chills you to the bone like i don't know robert de niro he should always just work with scorsese like i don't know what he's been doing so that was one of my favorite yeah that was one of my favorite performances that i've honestly seen from him Mm -hmm. i don't know i think i think i just suddenly realized that he's also aging does that make sense like yeah like he looks very frail and like mm-hmm. small in a way that I've never thought of him before. Yeah. But in a way that also kind of just like made sense for the character because it's always those small, skinny motherfuckers like <laughs> that are like, like with the tiny glasses. It's like, yeah. Like that is the dude in history that like has just done the most heinous shit. Like it's never yeah. like some Thanos, like super villain looking guy <laughs> that is making all the problems. It's always yeah. like, some random ass banker or something yeah. that's just ruining America. And so like, I, I think 
Scorsese particularly is so tuned into that fact mm-hmm. that he's able to kind of like uh, illuminate that in so many of his films. And this is just one of the best versions of that because like the reality of how Native Americans have been treated in the United States, like that is the norm more than it is mm-hmm. like an aberration. Yeah. You know? So it's kind mm-hmm. of like uh, seeing that depicted when like so many films that I grew up on in the nineties were like, like the white savior film where mm-hmm. like they joined the tribe. And, like, <laughs> oh my and, God. Like, the Kevin Costner of it all. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, that is not happening. Like this is very honest about the fact that like, yeah. no white people were out to get them and that's it. Yeah, and just the casual way this is presented in this film, like the guy, this was one of the most chilling, and it's just the second of film, the most chilling scenes for me is the guy who sort of gives them the money because the money is like controlled by the government and they go every day, every month or whatever to the allotment to get their allotment. And the guy who's like there interrogating Lily Gladstone about how she spends her money or how her mom is spending the money or whatever before he gives it to her. Then later in the film, in full Ku Klux Klan regalia, walking down the street of this town. And I'm just like, what? I just and this is sort of like this is why it's three hours and 26 minutes because it's a whole expansive story of a country and you need to tell it in ways like this. Um, And that's the thing, though, like when. I never felt bored, A. And yeah. I also was like, I don't know what I would cut. Nothing. Like there's yeah, <laughs> like there really isn't anything to cut because every single thing is so intentional and like contributes to the story that he's telling. Yeah. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about the editing in the film. Cause I was kind of surprised about, you know, with Scorsese, like if you think of Goodfellas. You think of, you know, the fast cuts, the edits, the the longer scenes with the camera movements, all of these flourishes, which are great and we love to see them, but they're not in this film. This film, I felt like it is more stately, more languid. He's allowing these actors, especially the three leads, Lily, um, Leo and De Niro, to sort of like settle into these performances. And the camera just sort of, settles down with them as they're just playing these characters and there are no fast cuts. There is no jumping from scene to scene. It's it's more of a languid pace to let these performances breathe. And, and to see him sort of like doing that um, this late in his career, I thought was amazing. And especially, you know, it's a legendary collaboration with Selma Schoonmaker, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so different in this film. I wonder if that has to do with kind of like reflecting the terrain in a way because like I'm sure he's made other films about like the Midwest that I'm not yeah. remembering but um Maybe. but like I remember in his <laughs> um in his interview when he was talking about like driving out there for the first time and he was like oh I was in the car and I was like we're going so slow like we haven't gone anywhere why is this taking forever and uh-huh. he suddenly realized they were going like 80 um like on this just straight highway where the land just goes on forever and it feels like you haven't moved. Mm. Um, And so it's just kind of, I wonder if that kind of that sense of how big everything is and how, but at the same time, how like still and same it is Mm -hmm. kind of like influence the way that you think about 
picturing something. Yeah, I think I think I think you're right on that because that's that's definitely it is. It's just it, the land is vast, the history of the Osage is vast, and the story that you know so many people were murdered. So I guess he had to give it that sort of different pace and to capture its vastness. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering. I don't know if you felt this way, but it took me like I got a little confused in the beginning about like how allotments worked yeah yes. and all of that kind of stuff i was like am i dumb like did i miss something it took me a, a second i thought it, that was a tad confusing person yeah i think there were two sort of things one is unrestricted where you just come and take your money and the other is sort of like restricted a bit which is usually also like misogynist and whatever because like mm-hmm. it was usually the women who were restricted because like molly the, the lily gladstone character i think they have they don't have men in there except the white men they get they marry in the family so maybe that's why they were restricted because she basically had to come and explain how she's going to spend her money every month yeah, I, was to like, this why man. Is this ha- I was like if you're <laughs> loaded like why do you have to ask for your money like it took me a second to figure it's- that out it's just racism and misogyny. I I can't and and what good about the film is that it never sort of explains it to you. It's just like she just has to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And what did I oh I watched some like news about or like on CBS Sunday morning when that book mm-hmm. came out, they interviewed the author. And so he mm-hmm. kind of explained it too about how the government like imposed um, a regulatory commission basically in the Osage nation to be like, oh, we, we don't trust you to be in charge of your money. It's your money, but we're going to hand it out. Yeah. So like all of that was just basically they were stealing anyway. Like, you didn't yeah, really they were definitely <laughs> stealing from them. It's 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 all systematic. Right. And yeah. that sort of like I also love those scenes where all the Osage come to basically the allotment office or whatever and take the money and then all the white you know, in this case, they're just merchants are like vultures waiting for them to come outside, selling them cars, selling them, you know, coats, wanting to take their pictures for money. And that scene at the beginning sort of like sets you up for like, what is this community like? How do they, what is their everyday life? How do these sort of like, I think it's one of the tribal leaders, he called them, they're buzzards over our people. And you really feel that they're like little um, insects just trying to suck the blood out of the Osage people. But it's also kind of scary. Like that was kind of when I knew like uh, how bad it was going to get, because I was Mm -hmm. like, there is no world on earth where white people in the 1920s Mm -hmm. or whenever are going to like, yeah, are going to allow themselves to be subjugated to the indigenous community yes. in the United States. Yeah. Like yeah, for sure. They're going to do something nasty. So nasty. Um and then they kind of got away with it. I mean, they were in prison, but not for long. Not <laughs> which long, is, yeah. Which considering you murdered so many people. <laughs> uh well, maybe we should talk about the ending. We should talk about the ending. So if you haven't seen Killers Spoilers. of the Flower Moon, spoiler alert, um the next I don't know 5 minutes, maybe Fast, fast forward, we will tell you when it ends. Um, and then just why haven't you seen it? It's open wide. So go see it. Yeah. Get those <laughs> opening weekend box office numbers. Let's yes. go. Yeah. Um, so tell us about the ending, Izzy. So after the trial, well, the, the trial is like hinted that it's concluded. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of uh, cuts to a live radio recording in which they're kind of like 
it's like a true crime podcast in the 1940s, basically. Something like that, yeah. Um, And they're basically like reading off what happened and like reenacting it with all these sound effects and stuff mm-hmm. um, on the radio program. And Jack White is there for some reason. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? But um, anyways, um, and so they basically read out like what happened to all of the characters uh, until the last person who comes up to read is Scorsese himself mm-hmm. and he's he talks about what happened to Molly mm-hmm. and then it kind of cuts back to an aerial like overhead shot of the Osage Nation today mm-hmm. I believe um, yeah. in some sort of ceremony that I don't know anything about mm-hmm. um, and it just kind of like I think is the most hopeful point in the film. Yeah. Where it's sort of like this nation still exists. Mm-hmm. They are still participating in all of these customs. There is hope for the future that they can kind of reclaim mm-hmm. all of these things that were taken from them. Yes. Um, um, and then it just kind of fades out. Yeah. You know, I love that Scorsese brought himself into this story. Um, I almost you cried. Know, I was yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's very moving because in the last scenes of the, you know, the last sort of like scene of Robert De Niro still trying to make evil and convince the Leo character not to testify against him. He's saying it's just another tragedy. It will soon be forgotten. There will be others and people will forget this. So why are you making such a big fuss? And so, and it was in a way forgotten from the 1920s and and people, you know, other tragedies happened and people have forgotten it. But for that scene to follow and, then then it's sort of like a record let's tell you what happened and then scorsese comes in to tell you about the osage person um at the center of the story the molly character what happened to her is just very moving it's as if he's saying you know what this will should not be forgotten and i'm doing my part to make it um to keep it in memory and just there's something about it like he's not really costumed in a way that feels like different from what you're looking at with no. like normal Martin Scorsese. Yeah. You know? yeah. There's something about just like, the classical totally suit. Yeah. Yeah. Like totally separate from the film mm-hmm. of just like seeing him there. Like feels like, like this is the, f- the father of cinema right now. Like he is kind yeah. of the patriarch of, of like everyone who really cares about this art form and seeing him in that position kind of, I don't know. It just felt so like special. And um, going back to what you said at the beginning, like we, I felt so lucky to be kind of like told this story by him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course, like taking into consideration everything we already talked about, but like that he's still telling us things and trying to entertain and like educate us. I felt very honored. I guess. Yes, totally. It's very moving. Yeah, you feel like, oh, we're lucky to be witnessing this. Um, um, I don't know, you know, all these feelings we have about Scorsese because he's always been a patron of cinema, right? Like he, his love to cinema, you can almost call it pure, like all the stuff that he does for restoration and for bringing, you know, younger voices, producing their movies and mentoring and the things he does for world cinema preservation and all of that. Like he's somebody who, 
who walks the walk. And his thing has always been that people sort of criticize him for that he makes stories about white men, but also in the end, he is a white man. And sort of that's what he knows best. Um, and, and maybe we should just let him make the stories that he wants because he sort of, um, makes up for maybe the lack of people of color or women or whatever in his movies with the other work that he does in mentoring and preservation. So, you know, nobody nobody can say or tell all the stories. And we're lucky, I think, to just get these stories so well told by him. Like he knows how to do it. He know like nobody makes movies like him. Like he knows how to do it every time. Yeah. And I, it's also to me, it's kind of like, I also get that argument, but it's like, I don't think anyone has a filmography that is more an indictment of white men than, exactly. than his is. Like, yeah. he he knows exactly what, like, the problems, like, the societal issue with, yeah. like, the white male are. And yeah. so, like, basically, he's outlining that for people like, yeah. for decades. And so it's yeah. kind of like, if you're going to, I guess, like in a way if that is like the representational group that you're dealing with that is mm -hmm. kind of like I in my opinion the best thing you can do with it yeah totally and he never glorifies it I think people do accuse him of glorifying violence or whatever but he never he shows it because it exists in our world but yeah. I don't think it's ever glorifying um and I, I was against him a little bit in when the Wolf of Wall Street came out I'm like oh my god why do we want a movie about this these assholes this is terrible Marty what are you doing yeah. Um, but now it's actually, I look back and I was, I was so wrong about that because that movie, it's another, you know, like you said, he's indicting these people. Yeah. And that, that is one of the, I think also though, it's one of those things where it's likely to be misinterpreted by a lot of people. Wolf of Wall Street is like the man, the man equivalent of Breakfast at Tiffany's where like the aesthetics of it are like appealing to a certain type of person. And like mm -hmm. the message kind of goes completely over their heads. Yeah. Which is not his fault, but. It's not, it's not his fault at all. But even I fell, it fell into that. And I'm like, why this movie? Why glorify these assholes? Um, and he never does that. Um, and he certainly, <clears throat> I think it's a bold choice to make this a character study of this evil dumb man played by Leo DiCaprio and then to just show the ugliness of the whole um, of him and 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 the system that propped him up and, and yeah. made him do the evil things that he did. It is interesting how kind of dumb Ernest is. So dumb. Like he really kind of just is there like he's not an unwitting accomplice but he's also not a mastermind by any means no he just and he knows he's doing these things he knows what he's doing yeah and yet he just keeps doing it and he knows like you could see it in his face this is why i love this performance from leo like i call it a performance of a thousand faces all just telling you one thing is like i'm dumb and i don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like you see it in his face when he's asked to do these awful things and he just looks confused, knows they're awful, but yet he just takes orders and does whatever it is his uncle wants. Mm -hmm. um, and even, you know, with his wife, with the Molly character, when she asks him question about what he's doing, he also just somehow knows that he should not tell her the truth, but you also see him like confused like, and I don't know how Leo did this. I mean, there is um there is an article where um 
people are making fun of him in uh in on on um on social media because i think oh, scorsese Yeah, Scorsese yeah. and De Niro said that we will roll out our eyes at Leo's improv and tell him that you don't need all that. And I'm like, I don't care if you rolled your eyes at him or he was maybe doing too much because in the end, it worked. Like what he does in this movie is so yeah. great. No, and like, it's, it's just it you're describing what a good director does. Just totally. like help shape, <laughs> shape help the performance. Shape the performance. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so in the end, it doesn't matter. He obviously had like a system that was not perfect but he got a great he gave a great performance yeah i do think i i've always leonardo dicaprio is someone that i'm interested in in the sense like i need to go back and i think pay more attention to him as an actor like mm-hmm. i've always kind of respected him because he's you know one of those people that everybody talks about as being the best but i never really cared but this kind of made me care a little bit i was like damn maybe i don't think about you enough yeah as an actor because he does the thing he only works with the top directors in these big yeah. movies so like he he's privileged that way to be able to just work with scorsese and tarantino and i don't know chris nolan or whatever and sort of have a career but he's always great like to your yeah. point i never think about him too until he's in front of me giving a great performance and i'm like wow Yeah. Leo DiCaprio, you are a fantastic actor. Yeah. I I guess what I would be interested in like I don't think he will ever do this, but it would be great to see him in something where it is really pared down. Mm. And he kind of has to be a little he's not subtle ever. No. I mean no. he is, but he isn't. Like he's subtle yeah. in a way that like he's building these big characters and giving them a lot of nuance, but mm-hmm. um Yeah, I think it'd be really cool to see him in like just some random indie where he's like just a a guy. Yeah. <laughs> that he doesn't that... have to like be so specific about these characters. Yeah. That's not his forte. He only no. works with the top American male directors. Like that's yeah. him. like look at his filmography. I don't think he's even worked with somebody who's even second tier. Like it's I all A+ plus talent. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what's it what does he have announced actually i'm gonna look that up i think he's working with scorsese again they always are they always have a couple oh, of that's things right brewing. yeah they're doing the next david grand book oh okay yeah i think but yeah he'll appear in a big movie you know you know that's 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 what he does but he's so good in this film i think it's it's probably if not his best i don't like to announce something as somebody's best ever right after it's released but it's yeah. up there it's it's really different and nuanced and just gorgeous work from him he's great in this film so more power to leo and he was great in his last film once upon a time in hollywood so yeah. he's always very good have you heard anything about whether they're going to run lily gladstone as best or supporting she's yeah it's been announced she's running as best actress okay which i think is a good thing politically from and i think also for her career like remember yeah. when viola davis was in the help and people were like oh she should go support and she's like no i'm the lead of this movie and kind of she wasn't she wasn't because emma stone yeah. was there as the actual yeah. lead um and she didn't win the oscar in the end but i think everybody saw her as a lead actress and from there she became a lead actress you know in tv and movies and you know and so maybe that's a good playbook for lily gladstone because unfortunately you know when you're not a young pretty white thing you need to um you need to do things like this to make sure the industry sees you as a leading lady yeah that's so true 
in my head, I, I was initially like, I wonder if it's smarter to go supporting because that is going to be much less competitive and I want her to win. <laughs> I wanted her to win something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, but maybe that's a, you're right. That's a bad way of thinking about it. Yeah. I think it's good. Like, even if she doesn't win, I think she will be nominated because the film. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, for sure. And so I think it's good in the long run for her and for the film. So, yeah. Because she was basically on the verge of quitting acting right before this. Yes, that's that's part of the stories that's been told. Yeah, and she hasn't. She you know she's in a new fest. She has a film that played at Sundance that we're playing at the festival called Fancy Dance. So she's having a good year. Although that one, it's it's very different. It's like a very small indie greedy story, like different than Killers. And she's the lead of it, and but it doesn't have distribution yet. So hopefully now mm. that her profile is bigger, somebody will buy that because people need to see that performance. Okay, cool. Is that has that already happened? The yes. Of that? So okay. by the time this is out, New Fest has ended, but we had an Wait. amazing ten days. Tell me again what it's called. It's called Fancy Dance. Um. So did we say everything we wanted to say about Killers? Or yeah, do why don't you tell something? us about New Fest? How it's been um, going? New Fest has been great. We had an amazing. We're recording this on Wednesday, or this is Thursday. Oh my God, we're recording this on Friday. <laughs> Yeah, man. I don't know what day it is. Um, and so we started last Thursday. So this it's been a full week of eight days of screenings. It's it's really been wonderful. A lot of filmmakers came. Um, we had yes, last night was the award for Todd Haynes for May December. It was presented to him by Tom Kalin of Savage Beauty and Swoon, you know, another director from um queer new wave of the 90s and it was an amazing night and the film played so well for um queer audiences which are oh, you bet. know different but but the the joy of this festival for me is all sort of like the up-and-coming filmmakers or the shorts filmmakers who's like and coming to their first festival or the first time their movies played publicly um and they just are enjoying the moment so much and being in it and to present their work and see them interact with audiences and just meet each other like yeah. that's kind of what makes the festival really nice and just like a bit I'm in cloud nine I'm having such a good time even though I'm exhausted yeah but I'll, I'll sleep after closing night which is in a couple <laughs> of days <laughs> yes 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 um that's so exciting I love seeing you post all these things I'm just like my guys thriving yes <laughs> like, yes it makes, yeah I love it it's so it's, good it's so fun yes and then doc so nyc is also coming up correct doc nyc starts on november 8th yes okay from november is there 8th anything to the that 17th. you want to point out for anyone who's around yeah there are an ama- amazing films um i will talk about films from africa and the middle east specifically um, there is a wonderful documentary from Cameroon called The Spectre of Boko Haram, which is about a small village um, on the border between Nigeria and Cameroon that's is invaded again and again by Boko Haram and sort of how they how the people of this village are resilient and they continue living their daily life this, despite this threat of violence over them. Um, there is a film called The Janat from Mali, which is about... Um, um, how to divide um, the inheritance in Islamic law and sort of like the the gender um, implications of that. Women usually get half as much as men in an inheritance. And sort of this is a, a French filmmaker from Mali 
uh, um, who goes back to her her parents' homeland to sort of record her family as they are distributing um, the inheritance, basically, after the patriarch of the family dies. And sort of the story sort of then touches in a lot of things about Islam and religion and about gender positions in, in a society like that. It's it's really wonderful and beautiful. Hiyam Abbas, the actor from Succession, the Palestinian mm-hmm. actor, mm-hmm. She, there's a documentary about her and her family made by her oh, wow. daughter called uh, Bye Bye Tiberis. And it's sort of like um, tells the story of what happened to her family uh, during the Nakba in 1948 and how, you know, they, you know, she grew up in, in Israel as a Palestinian and then became an international actor and how sort of that growing up within that family of very strong women, how it shaped her and her art. It's it's one of those things where you take, um, you know, somebody famous or somebody successful, like a world-renowned actor like Yama Abbas, and sort of go back to see where they came from and how that shaped them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also very personal because it's made by her daughter. So it's like three generations of women in this family and how they they try to make art um, in the world that they were born in and outside of it. Um, it's really, really beautiful. Um there's a couple of stories um, from Latin America about um, immigration uh, and borders. One is called the caravan. One is called at the border. And um, the caravan is about this family of Mexican uh, immigrants trying to cross. Uh, they're not Mexican. I'm sorry. They are from Nicaragua, I think or somewhere in Central America, but they're crossing through Mexico into the US. Um, Mm -hmm. And it sort of just tells you how desperate you have to be to sort of like take this really perilous journey. Um, At the border is at the border between um, Venezuela and Colombia, which is also one of the most violent places in the world, but people still are trying to cross to to sort of find a better life. And and these, you know, this is kind of what I love about documentaries. You know, I love narrative and it's great and I love being lost in a Scorsese movie, but the documentaries are sometimes just so hard hitting um, and the stories are so visceral because they're true. Um, and it's real people. So yeah, Doc NYC will be great. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. It's my first year do- um, programming for them. So these are some of the films I programmed and picked to play. So I'm excited to see how they play. <laughs> Amazing. No, they all sound fantastic. I really want to see the one about a boss. Oh, wow. You're so busy. I can't even believe it. Yes, but I'm excited to talk about Scorsese. Obviously, we love this movie and this movie is going to be in the awards conversation. So I think we will continue talking about it. We'll try to figure out a way to interview somebody about it too. Because Mm -hmm. I think when are the Oscars March? I think we're going to be talking about it until March. It's definitely going to get a bunch of nominations for sure. Yeah, oh my God, I can't. (laughs) I mean, truly a a really good year on so many levels, but like- even in that context, I feel like this is going to rise to the tippy top, if you will. For sure. Um, and so until next time, more conversations. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at I am Picture Show. And I am on Twitter at M-E underscore says and on Instagram at Mortada underscore E. And I'm on Twitter at BK Rewind, Instagram BK underscore Rewind, YouTube be kind and until next time thank you for listening